This is the podcast of Tressler Mennonite Church. And each week, we replay the sermon from our Sunday morning service so that anyone who may have missed the sermon can catch it later. And we want to especially thank those of you who missed the sermon because you were working with our youngest children during the service time. This particular sermon was from February 12th, 2023, and the text was Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. up Thursday morning with a sore throat. The soreness has left, but my voice left along with it. So my apologies. <clears throat> Hopefully you can at least catch a little bit of what I say. Um, I feel fine. It's just I don't sound good. So we shall see how this goes. <clears throat> In today's passage, the author of Hebrews begins a new topic, uh, sort of, I guess you could call it a topic. <laughs> But as he does, he, um, he uses that new thought to conclude his previous one. He's been talking about, uh, about not falling away, about standing strong. And so he introduces this new thought um, today, but he uses that to also conclude what he's been talking about. So we're going to be looking again a little bit at what we have been talking about. Uh, in our previous sermons, and in so doing, also introduce this new topic as well. Also, today's passage is a familiar one, uh, one with, that we probably recognize, one that we've heard, we've probably heard it preached before. And it's one that is in, full of important truths, um, even though it is only three verses long. So because of that, because it's it's kind of, there's a lot there in a, in a few words, I'm going to be dissecting this a little bit more than what I usually do. A lot of times I'll use the chunk of verses to maybe pick a theme or something. Today we're going to be going kind of almost comment by comment or even partial comment uh, and dissecting it a little bit more so that we can hopefully understand it a little bit better. So let's work through this passage and see what it is that God has for us to learn here today. First. 14, as Darlene has read for us, starts out with, so then, or in the New American Standard, it says, therefore, which means we have to know and understand what was said already in order to be under, in order to understand what is about to be said as well. We have to look back at why is he saying, therefore, we have to understand what was said already in order to fully understand what's getting ready to be said as well. And as we've pointed out multiple times throughout the first four chapters of this letter so far, the author author has emphasized uh, multiple times the supremacy of Jesus. He is higher than the angels. We talked about that a couple weeks. He is superior to Moses. We talked about that a little bit. He alone is the perfect sacrifice that was needed to restore our broken relationship with the holy and righteous and awe-inspiring God that Dale talked about last week, if you remember back to Isaiah 6, um, and what and just how awesome and powerful and wonderful God is. So Jesus is that only way to, to restore that relationship between us fallen humans and that God. Also, the author in the sections that we've looked at in the previous two sermons from Hebrews is warning his Jewish brothers and sisters 
who he calls his fellow believers, not to turn away from Jesus. As we mentioned, they would have been under intense pressure from family and friends to turn back to the Old Testament way of thinking and to the Old Testament law uh, in order to gain approval from God. But the, the author is saying no, and he harshly warns them to be careful because the consequences are real and they are severe. He says, hold fast to your faith in Jesus as your means of salvation. So because of Christ's supremacy, because uh, and in light of the warning to not fall away, the author introduces another reason to stand firm. He says, since we have a great high priest there in the first uh, there in verse 14 again. I wish that I had the knowledge and the understanding of the Jewish culture to be able to fully explain what the original readers would have understood when they heard these words. We, since we have such a great high priest. Um, I, I googled um, the Bible Project to see if they had any videos. And they actually have a series of like four or five um, I thought about playing one today just to kind of save my voice a little bit, but I decided not to. But I would, we're going to be going through two or three chapters of, of the author talking about Jesus being our great high priest. So on your own time, I would, that probably wouldn't be a bad thing to do is to go and to, to watch those. Um, they're just a few minutes uh, each. But, um, so that we gain a better understanding of what it is that the original readers would have heard when they heard these words. But at the basic level, we know that the high priest was a mediator between God and man. He was the one that entered God's presence on a yearly basis in order to make atonement for the sins of the people. And over the next few chapters, as I said, the author is going to look at how Jesus is now greater than any of the other high priests that had come before him. So he continues on by saying, So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, uh, who has entered heaven. So again, we're going thought by thought here a little bit. So Jesus, as our mediator, hasn't merely entered the holy place, the most holy place, which is the symbolic place where God dwelt here on earth. He's entered the very throne room of the glorious God of the universe. Again, Dale talked about this last week and gave us a picture of that. Our high priest is right there in God's presence constantly pleading our case before a righteous and holy God that demands justice and purity and one that absolutely despises sin. So there he is in God's presence. But not only is our high priest in God's presence, but our high priest is also no ordinary man. And the author continues by saying that our high priest is Jesus, the Son of God. As I've said earlier, this is a familiar passage that we're looking at here today, but I hope that we're able to stop and pause for just a minute and think about the magnitude of what it is that we have looked at so far here just in this one verse. We have a high priest standing before the God of the universe where there's the flashing light and the seraphim saying, holy, holy, holy. And as this holy God looks down at me and he sees my sin, In my filth, he then looks at Jesus and Jesus says, yes, he is covered by my blood. He has accepted my forgiveness. And now the Father sees me as pure and holy as well because of what it is that Jesus has done. 
going to need this one today, Lemford. Thanks. <clears throat> so the author tells his Jewish uh, brothers and sisters, the fellow believers, and he tells us today, So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, then let us hold firmly to what we believe. Don't give in to your fears and doubts. Don't trade in a great high priest for a substitute that will not restore your relationship with a holy God. Focus on who Jesus is and what he has done and allow him to strengthen your relationship with himself. And again, that's what we've been talking about when I preached two sermons ago from, from Hebrews, when Nathan preached two weeks ago from the same um, from the earlier part there in, here in chapter 4, is stand strong, hold on to these truths. And so that's what he was talking about as he introduced this new thought of the high priest. In verse 15, the author brings out another aspect of Jesus' high priest. He says, This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same, th- all the same testings that we do, yet he did not sin. I myself have a hard time fathoming or even coming close to understanding how Jesus was both 100% God and fully man at the same time. I, my mind just, I, I, I can't even imagine what that must have looked like in Jesus's life. Usually I think of him more as, as more God, uh, and, and not fully man. It, I can't quite imagine him going through the same struggles, daily things that, that I do. Um, but then one of the things that I've appreciated as we've, as we've watched The Chosen on Wednesday evenings, and again, if anybody would like to join us, we'd love to have you. We come in here, we watch, put the screen down, we watch it with the, uh, really loud, and Andrew brings popcorn, so we have a good time. So if, uh, if anybody wants to join us, there's definitely room. Um, but one of the things that I've appreciated that as we've, ta- as we've gone through and, and are watching The Chosen is how they bring out Jesus' humanity. Um, he got tired. That, that, I have a hard time realizing that. It was interesting, the one that we watched this past week, Joseph was teaching him how to read, and Jesus was struggling. And I think about how we teach Demetrius how to, to read, and it can be a, little, a lot frustrating sometimes and stuff. And, and, uh, but Jesus needed to learn how to read, or at least that's their take on it kind of thing. And that, that kind of just blows my mind a little bit. Um, but this past, the one that we watched this past Wednesday night was when he went and he preached in his hometown of Nazareth. And when he told the people there that he was the Messiah, his childhood friends, the friends of his parents, of Mary and Joseph, drove him out onto the cliff in order to kill him by throwing, throwing, throwing him over the edge. When he said, yes, I am the, I am the Messiah, his hometown wanted to kill him. They didn't believe him. These were people that he loved dearly, yet they rejected him, and it was painful to him. But he was fully human, and he understands our weaknesses because he dealt with them as well. Yet he did not sin. He couldn't give in because he knew that without his sinless blood offered for us, there would be no salvation. Both of the commentaries that I used brought out an interesting point that I had uh, had never really thought about before. But as humans, we have never felt the full brunt of temptation because we give into it before it's reached its full strength. We broke 
before temptation did. Temptation worked on us until we broke, and then it could stop. But it hadn't reached its full, its full strength. Jesus knows temptations, temptation at its fullest fury because he did not break. Satan threw all his might and strength at Jesus, and Jesus felt it, but he didn't give in. He didn't fall. So again, I read, Since then we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. And the author continues and says, So let us come boldly to the throne. To which I say, what? Really? Me, a sinner, come boldly to God's throne? Remember what happened that Dale talked about last week when Isaiah saw God in his throne room? He said, woe is me, for I'm ruined. For I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And he fell down. In Revelation, when John saw a vision of God, he fell out like a dead man. And I'm supposed to go into God's holy throne room and go boldly? A judge is there to uphold and enforce the law. And the law says that the wages of sin is death. About a month before my 18th birthday, my family spent the weekend down in Williamsburg with Lester and Debbie Troyer and their family. And, um, and that Sunday evening, uh, Les Jr. and my sister Jill and I had a chorus program up at the Brick Church uh, that Sunday evening. So the three of us left ahead of everybody else. We got a little turned around somewhere down there in Virginia, and so we were running a little bit late. And I happened to be driving Les's dad's little Ford Ranger and uh, and this Corvette comes flying by me and past me. And there was a little white car with Texas tags. And again, you guys know my memory isn't very good, but I remember this quite uh, vividly. But this little white car with Texas tags was close behind him. Well, we needed to hurry and I was, we were nervous that we were going to be late, and Chris Welfley would not have liked that too much. So I said to myself, if there's a, a cop up ahead, he'll catch them first, and I can just scoot on through, and, and maybe we'll get there in time. So I kept up with them. We were on 13 down around Pocomoke. I think I know, still know exactly where all this went down. Um, there's the... The highway's divided a little bit, and there's some pine trees in the middle. <clears throat> so there we were rolling right along, and of course, all of a sudden, here comes a policeman headed the opposite way. Um, and he pulls into the crossover there uh, just as we all sail past him. Well, he comes out and goes flying past me, which, of course, I've slowed down drastically by that time. Um, and he goes after the other two. So I'm, I slow it down a little bit, and as we're driving along, I look up, and, and there he is with a, with a little white Texas car pulled over along the side of the road. And just as I said to myself, got them, he steps out into the middle of the road, and he points his finger at me and asks me to join their little party. And all of a sudden, it wasn't so funny. So I got a ticket for doing 78 in a 55. 
Now, I'm still pretty sure that I was not going that fast. Seth, I should have told you to plug your ears. <laughs> and you have to keep in mind that back then, the police would maybe give you five over um, the speed limit. Now they give you 10 or, or a little more probably. And doing over 70 on, on 13 was kind of unheard of back then. I don't know. Mike might have used to, but to me, it didn't. I don't remember people going that fast. Um, but nowadays, it's different. Well, I was petrified of how this was going to go when my parents got home that night and found out. I was down hiding in my room, and I think Jill told on me. Surprise, surprise. Well, I survived that, barely. And so talking about it with other people, they said, oh, just go to court. The police probably won't show up. Uh, the judge will probably knock it down some. So that's what we decided to do. I was getting ready to go to Brazil with Teen Missions, and so I took my little prayer card. I thought I was going to have some good stuff to tell the judge. So Dad and I go down to Pocomoke one morning and go to court. Well, let's just say the people that gave us all this advice didn't know this judge. Uh, and he chewed me up one side and down the other. And I left there, that courtroom, feeling pretty stupid. Um, uh, why didn't I just pay the fine? And I, This was a waste of time, and I really felt ridiculous as I left there. He didn't care when, he, when I said that I, we had gotten lost and that we were going to be late for church that night. That didn't buy me anything. And he didn't buy it when I said I didn't think I was going that fast because I thought I was trying to keep it under 70. And he didn't care that somehow the cop didn't catch the Corvette that was leading our little convoy. That didn't make any difference to him. He was there to uphold the law. And I was guilty. There was no grace. There was no mercy. I knew the judge's daughter from Camp Mardella. I asked Carl this morning if he remembered her name. I don't remember. But Carl's brother Greg knew her pretty well. And so he was supposed to ask her if she would talk to her dad. But she wasn't a very good mediator. And so I got the book thrown at me. So how do we go before the throne of Almighty God and how are we supposed to go with boldness? Because we are guilty. So the author continues and, said, and says, let us come boldly before the throne of grace of our gracious God. Or as the New American Standard puts it, the throne of grace. But isn't that an oxymoron, a throne of grace. A throne is a king, or in other words, the supreme judge's seat. And the law says that the wages of sin is death. The law says that the wages of sin is death, and a righteous and a holy God demands that the law be followed and met. Otherwise, he's no longer holy and righteous and just. God can't turn a blind eye to sin. So how can he be gracious and merciful? And how in the world can we approach him boldly? Well, we all know the answer. For God so loved the world, he loved them so much that he paid our debt by sending his only begotten son into the world to die in our place. And whoever believes in him and in his sacrifice will not perish but will have eternal life. In grace and in mercy, God himself paid our fine. The law was upheld. The innocent blood that was required to pay the penalty for my sin was shed by Jesus. So we know the answer again. 
But how often do we really stop and think about what it is exactly that Jesus is our great high priest has done for us? I know I'm guilty of reading these words, this, these verses, and not stopping and thinking about it. So let me finish reading this verse. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Because of Christ's coming and living, a sinless life is 100% God and fully man. And shedding his blood as a sacrifice for our sins, we can enter the throne room of the God of the universe. And there he can and will and does give us grace and mercy. What a beautiful truth. Does this give anybody else goosebumps? Let me read it together one last time. And while I am as the Holy Spirit, ask the Holy Spirit to help you to understand what it is that you need to hear this morning from this passage. So again, starting in verse 14. So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he's faced all the same testings that we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. So as we go from here, hold firm to these truths. Remember what it is that Christ has accomplished on the cross. And boldly climb up into your father's lap and spend time with him. Allow him to strengthen your relationship with himself. Receive his grace and mercy. And as we come to the communion table today, remember that we are partaking of his body that was fully human, that was battered, it felt pain, that was bombarded by Satan's fury and temptation, yet did not give in to it. And remember his innocent blood that was shed as payment for our sin. And let's celebrate our high priest together here today. You have been listening to the Tressler Mennonite Sermon from February 12th, 2023. The passage was Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. Take care.